Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire! Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire. Off Tackle Empire, the official home of, uh, of subpar non-conference play. Um, that's all I can say. Uh, two very disgruntled Big Ten fans, uh, Steve Braun and Gay Thumposaurus with Andrew Krzyzewski. Yeah, that first crack was me sullenly opening our Wintry Fail Brewster of the Week. Uh, it's Natty Ice. This is what, not, not the fun thing, not the shandy, not, the, not their take on White Claw that everybody seems to think is okay. Nope, actual Natty Ice, because there is a god and he, he doesn't care about most of us. So, why not? Why not? I, if we weren't in your living room, I would just pour this right on my head, because that's what the universe has given to both of us. Cheers, Cheers. man. Ah, it tastes kind of skunky. Worse than I remember. Little metallic. Gets you drunk. Much like... In kind of a bitter way. Much like Big Ten Conference football, I think we're going to find out. Worse than I remember. So, so uh, let's, let's start right off with it. Arizona State 10, Michigan State 7. Uh, I was shocked at how late this game was three to nothing, but long before the score eclipsed that, you alerted me to the fact that Michigan State was going to lose. Yeah, and I'm gonna, I'll pull up our text history because I want to get this exactly right for posterity's sake. I expressed the belief to you, okay, so I said, and I quote, MSU is markedly the better team and is going to lose to Arizona State again at 5.10 p.m. on the day of this game. That was a four o'clock kickoff. And if memory serves, it was probably early in the second quarter that I told you that. Um, because MSU was by far the better team. I, I, they out, let me bring up the match here. They had to have outgained them by at least a couple hundred yards. I think it was damn near 2-1 to one in total they, they They damn near doubled them up. Yeah, 404 to 216. And <clears throat> a lot of the reaction I've seen from MSU fans who don't want to panic yet is, well, look, the offense worked, and things moved fine, and you can see... The, okay, so here's the thing. This isn't a Chuck E. Cheese. You don't get to cash in 100 yards for a touchdown. You gotta, you gotta actually just win the touchdown. It'd be like if you have to you know, like actually win one of the really difficult, impossible games to get a prize instead of just being there long enough and spending enough time and money investing in this thing, and then you get a reward. That's not how this works. Those yards don't mean anything if every single drive, if you, you know, if you pick up 20, 30, 40 yards on every drive and then make some colossal mistake that ends it with no points to show for it, if you do that over the course of a whole game, it doesn't matter that you move the ball more effectively than against the Tulsa defense, for example. Is it a better sign? Yeah, probably. I guess you could convince me that with a more normal and competent officiating crew, maybe this game is, the, is closer to the result you would expect. Because yeah, those calls didn't help. But man, you scored seven damn points. I'm not blaming the rest for that. I can't. Even with, again, a, a last-second comical game-deciding call, or in this case, non-call in Arizona State's favor. We've never seen that before, right? Um, look, I don't know what else there is to say about it. It's uh, another example, really, of Mark Antonio's approach and coaching philosophy wasting a heroic performance by the defense. And, I mean, in fact... Even the calls made on the last defensive possession blew this game. Because I don't get how on 4th and 13, you call two timeouts to not spy a quarterback who hasn't thrown a single good pass all day. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it at all. Um, 
I don't want to believe it, but it, it kind of looks like D'Antonio is the guy who has coached his last big win for Michigan State. That's sort of what this is starting to look like. I did some research into recent trends. Um, going back to the beginning of last season, how many times do you think Michigan State's defense has allowed 30 points? Mm, beginning of last mm-hmm. let's say uh, that's, that's that's 13 plus 16 games. I'd say maybe one. Yeah, once. The Utah State game, the first game right. of last season. So if you want to knock that off the table, they've gone 15 games in a row without allowing 30 points, and their record in those 15 games would be what? Mm, seven and eight. Eight and seven. Eight Close. and seven. <laughs> I mean, if you if you put this if you marry this defense to probably 80 percent of the offenses in the country, you have a top 10 team and a playoff contender. Or if you just move the goal line up 40 yards, they probably win this game convincingly. So for Michigan State going forward, is there a chance that this ends up working out better than it looks like it will? Sure there is. But it sure does feel a lot like the way that it felt after Arizona State last year. And that's my feelings exactly. (laughs) And let's not lose sight of the fact that we learned today that erstwhile left tackle Kevin Jarvis is now out for six weeks. He was their third string left tackle. After three games, Michigan State is on their fourth string left tackle. We got a strength and conditioning problem on the offensive line. It's not up for debate anymore. Jarvis, Jarvis, I need you to pull up some blindside protection here. I'm afraid I can't do that, Mark. My knee exploded. Uh, Another trivia here, uh, Arizona State apparently has a kicking Zendejas, which the kicking Zendejas brothers were were a force in the NFL a few decades ago. Uh, I'm sure there's a relation there, but... Could um, be. Could be. What was going on in the kicking game? Do you have any idea? Uh, it was D'Antonio's probably first John L. Smith moment. They got a completion to get it down to the Arizona State 25, I believe. Um, clock should have stopped and given them a couple more seconds, but it didn't. So when they spike the ball, they have 11 seconds left. Second 10 on the 25-yard line. And with the clock tick, tick, ticking down, the play clock, Lorgie is a bit like you can see him yelling, What are we doing to the sideline? And nobody answered. And then with about 15, 14, 13 seconds, something like that, D'Antonio sends out the kick team to attempt a field goal with 11 seconds left, 25 yards out. MSU's receivers are not fast. They could take a shot at a 25-yard end zone pass with 11 seconds left and still kick the field goal if they miss. If they can't get a shot at the end zone, Lewerke is a senior quarterback who's been starting for most, for probably about three years altogether when he's not been hurt you got to trust him in that situation to make the correct decision. If the end zone pass isn't open, to either take a shorter one or chuck it out of bounds. If he takes a shorter one, it's an easier field goal for a kicker who already missed two today. I mean, it's he handled the whole thing as badly as you could have. And he see, he had no answers afterwards for why he did any of it. it it's it, so does the, not, it does not feel like a guy who still has the touch he did four, five, six years ago. So the players were working their asses off. And the coaches were screwing it up. Exactly, yeah. Because up and down, you know, again, did they commit a shit ton of penalties? Sure. But was there any single player? I mean, am I really going to be mad at Matt Dotson for continuing to drop half of his targets? No, that's what he is now. He's a, he's into his junior year. He's a tight end who drops the ball a lot. And I'm mad at Connor Hayward for not picking up short yardage. No, he can't pick up short yardage. He can't break tackles. He doesn't have the vision to see a hole. But we keep playing those guys and, and making them important parts of the offense at important times. That's not those players' fault. It's the coaches' fault. What do you, you have, have options? Your, you got to have your coaches make the most of the talent that they have and and put the players in the best possible position to succeed. Because, I don't know. I, I always, you know, 
the coaches are the ones are, are not the ones who are out there with the adrenaline flowing, right? They're supposed to be the ones making rational, level-headed decisions. The voice of reason, the steady captain, and uh, that is not what we got here. Nope, 100% not. And again, this is... When you th look at MSU's roster and the amount of turnover they're going to have, even if they have no NFL departures at all, which they'll have at least one. I'm sure Josiah Scott's going. They may have one or two others. Probably not, but... With the, just with the seniors they have leaving next year, 2020 is going to be a rough one way or another. It's not like they've been recruiting top 10 classes where they can expect to not have the kind of regression they had in 16 and in 12 when they had big turnover. Next year's not going to be good. Beyond that, who knows? Um, but man, this was the this is a group of players that really should have done more than they have so far. And Saturday was a huge piece of evidence that they're not going to do dick this year. I'm not going. I'm not watching another Red Box ball. So. They can get their shit together, or I can find something else to do, probably from about... I mean, I'm going to the Wisconsin game. Those plans are already made. The tickets are already paid for. So that's four more games they're sure to have my attention for. After that, I can take it or leave it. Well, per a preseason agreement between us, if by the time the Illinois-Michigan State game happens, we both don't want to go, then we both have to go. And, uh... Yeah, I might remember if that happens. <laughs> I certainly don't want to go to that one after what happened to the Illini. Lovey Smith's a huge disaster. Lovey Smith's a huge disaster. Lovey Smith's a huge disaster. Here in Illini football, we don't matter. He's the world's most empathetic coach. Huge disaster. No amount of losing changes his approach. When he went to College Park Town, his defense gave up nine touchdowns. Bobby Smith's a huge disaster. Bobby Smith's a huge disaster. Never seen so many penalties. Every other tackle might be targeting. Lovey's team does nothing it should. You know sometimes divorce is good. Who, let me just take a big, take a nice pull of that. All right, mm. now he's got the courage. Yeah, they, they lost to Eastern Michigan, and I think I'm ready to say that Lovey is officially canceled. I mean, there's... Cancel culture <laughs> has gone too far. You know how many years of NFL experience Lovey Smith has on his staff? 49. More than anybody in the country. And I know that because as far as Illinois is concerned, that is the Perry Hills was a wrestler in high school fact year. Yeah, so... You know how many years of experience they're going to have ever again? 49. It's not... Ain't a damn one of them getting an NFL <laughs> job again. It's not just a three-point loss because this was not quite like the Rutgers and Purdue losses. What happened was for about the whole second half of that game, Illinois got their asses absolutely kicked all up and down the field by Eastern Michigan. And the, it was, and the Eagles made just enough mistakes. It was embarrassing. Well, what happened at the end was Illinois clawed their way back for two touchdowns by just having bigger, stronger, faster athletes. I mean, it was the case the whole time, actually. Yeah. But. Well, did you see Peters, you know, underthrew two balls to Ima Torbebe, who just ripped them away from defenders? Ran through people like he was Terrell Owens. Yeah, honestly, it, the way that last drive went, I wonder if, like, the, I can almost hear the subtext just thought, like, I went to fucking USC. I'm not losing to Eastern goddamn Michigan. Because that was the kind of, like, no, he was he, he couldn't be stopped. And why it is that Illinois often forgets they have him, 
don't know. But. Well, I mean, I guess he has a problem with route running, but when when shit's breaking down, like find the guy. Um, he wins contested balls. Um, that being said, we were really the the goal was we we had to go three and zero in non conference this year uh, because this had to be a bowl season. Now the line I need to go four and five in conference play to get there, and I just don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. Now they're still probably going to go five and seven because. I believe they're better than Rutgers, and I know they're going to beat at least one team that they have no business beating, just to try and just to try and throw me off the trail. I mean, at this rate, Purdue's looking like a good candidate because they might not have any players. Well, that might not be a team that we sh- that we have no business beating. I'm talking like I don't know Minnesota. We probably shouldn't beat. Maybe we beat well, them. Um, well, we say no business. Who knows? But um, but man, it's who needed a bowl this this year. And he screwed up one of the most winnable games on the schedule, and Lovey had a huge part in that. Let me just put it this way. Peak Lovey was achieved on Illinois' opening drive. Uh, after they got a three and out, they proceeded to march down the field, but on a third and three from just inside the 40, they uh, threw incomplete. And then on fourth and three, again, with like 12 minutes to go in the first quarter against Eastern Michigan, Lovey Smith decided to kick a 57-yard field goal. Like, to open the game with a decided talent advantage, fourth and three (laughs) kicks a 57-yarder. And credit to the kicker for making it. But why is that (laughs) the decision? Only Lovey Smith, no other head coach in FBS football would do this. Well, the funny thing is, though, is if if you combine... If you could get a perfect balance between Lovey Smith's decision making and Jim Harbaugh's from Army, you would probably have like an ultimate leveled out coach, right? Because you would have Jeff Munkin. Yeah, you would have a good. Yeah, um, Lovey leaned even farther into the meme that he is near the end of the first half, where Illinois took over in their own territory with a minute six to go and a couple of timeouts. And wasted a bunch of time in getting to like around their 34 or so, and then let the clock tick down to 21 seconds. Called a timeout. Um, I mean, ran ran a couple of plays, but you know, certainly given that they had made a 57-yard field goal earlier in the game, y- you would expect that it wouldn't be too hard to get into range to try another field goal from 57 yards uh, on third and th- on. On third and uh, three or so, they, of course, predictably call a slant that, you know, gets the first down but still in bounds. And then 14 seconds go when there were 14 seconds around the clock when the receiver goes down in bounds. And then the clock winds and it just ticks down to six seconds. And then Lovey decides to call the timeout. By this point, we're not in field goal range. And for some reason, the play call is. All right, let's just hand off to Reggie Corbin against prevent defense. So he goes down and runs around for six seconds, and the half ends. Well, look, the important thing is that nothing happened. Yeah, that is apparently the important thing. Um, on the, the, the response well, so to I, the... So when I say nothing, that includes all kinds of bad things that didn't happen. Yeah. Nothing bad happened. Also nothing good, but nothing bad happened. But also so nothing good, but nothing bad. So the response to the 57-yard field goal was a drive that ended with... The guy that we keep hearing is like, oh, he's probably going to go pro, so, you know, we just got to have him this year, is the cornerback Nate Hobbs getting absolutely mossed. I mean, he just 
just got completely owned. On I mean, it was a fantastic catch. If it's the it one I'm thinking, it was a fantastic catch. It's the kind of thing where really I wouldn't even necessarily be mad about it. Um, I mean, you're you're mad that it happened to your team, but it. I, I remember the play you're talking about. The one it was right on the far corner, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I remember that. That was a, it was a, an incredible throw. Yeah, but here's the thing: we've struggled to develop talent. Um, all of the Illini writers decided that starting corners Hobbs and Martin transitioned from promising young talent to they're already good, they're good and we don't have to worry about them over the offseason without them playing a game. They still have to actually prove that they're good. They, they don't. You don't just become good from promising without actually producing anything in a game. That's a little bit of an underpants and a rationale. So the defense doesn't seem to have any idea how to play the scheme, which is entirely on coaching. They, they don't know where they're supposed to be. Um, there's one, my... collect talent. There's two, there's three, no fly zone. <laughs> that easy. I mean, my goodness, I saw so many defensive ends tackling running backs without the ball. It, every single After every single game, Lovey Smith must erase everybody on the defense's memory because somehow at the beginning of every game, they look like they've never seen a zone read before. Uh, he must he must have that men in black thing on the sidelines <laughs> exactly too because thinking. in the second half they still don't look like they've ever seen a read option. If I'm being honest, I um, your complaints are well founded and well taken, but as soon as you said that, I started picturing Lovey Smith dressed in the men in black. Like, he would look fucking sharp. Yeah, that he would. Um, the linebackers in coverage might as well not even be there. I mean, and in fact, uh, somehow Lovey had a moment of lucidity and realized that well, I might as well just blitz. All the time. The only reason Lovey Bliss was not to get pass rush, because that's not a thing that he wants... I mean, he wants pass rush, but he's not willing to bring more guys to do it. No, it's because he realized, well, I might as well not put the linebackers on the field if they're going to drop into coverage because they're so bad at it. And then, blitzing them all didn't get to the quarterback. So, that bodes extremely well. Our safeties... I mean, our safeties still have no idea how to tackle legally. We had a late hit out of bounds on a badly overthrown ball at one point. I don't understand how we can continue to make so many mistakes. <coughs> Meanwhile, on the other side, see Eastern Michigan execute our defensive scheme much better than any game that we've ever played it. They're, you know, they're they're in their zones, they're at appropriate depths and they 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 they're handing off receivers, they're doing everything right, they're they're disciplined. I mean, they I I, I I don't know what to say. The, the coaching staff is seeming seemingly just isn't trying because um, these players have made no progress at all, and the offense isn't off the hook either because Brandon Peters took six sacks. Some of them were the fault. Uh, a lot of them were the fault of he just didn't recognize what the defense was doing, and we had more blitzers than there were blockers. Some of them were he decided he was going to stare down his first read until he was open at some point, or until he got blindside sacked. Um, boy, Peters looked awful after the first quarter. Um, a lot of the shines come off him. So they rallied for two late touchdowns, only to give up a game-winning chip shot. You you texted me, you were joking, but I honestly didn't think you were. Uh, they scored well, right, a game-tying so. <laughs> touchdown with a minute 44 to go, and you, you texted me, oh, they might have scored too fast. And I was like... Yeah, I just hope that Eastern Michigan's touchdown is fast enough that we can respond. And I started at one point just saying, oh my god, just let them score at this point. Because they just got into, methodically got into range for a chip shot of a field goal to win the game. 
Yep, at 3.28 p.m. I texted, are you really about to score too fast? And uh, that would have been, because I think Eastern got the ball left back with like a minute 40 or something. And it became apparent after a couple of the chunk plays Illinois got early in that drive, I was like, oh, but if they score, it's only tying it. You don't really want, like, you need to drain a little more of this clock. I know it's a tough line to walk, but you're not doing this right. And sure enough, they didn't do it right. Let's continue on other teams that just miserably fucked up this weekend. Ohio's they allowed 480 yards to Eastern Michigan. And uh, Eastern Michigan is not as good an offense as we're going to see all year. Enough about your trash team. Let's talk about another trash team. Ohio State Buckeyes allowing 10 points to the Indiana Hoosiers. Who do you fire on this Buckeye staff to right the ship? God, who do you, who do you even keep? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know what there is to say about this. This is a game that Indiana has frequently kept close in recent years. This is another indicator, by the way, that this transition to Ryan Day is not going to be a problem. And I still feel like Ohio State's not getting a whole lot of national attention despite being sixth, right? Ranked sixth? Yep. Um, nobody seems to be giving them a whole lot of discussion as a playoff contender, you know, because... I guess because of the coach thing, because they, there's still this belief that, well, there's no way a first-year head coach is going to go to the playoff, but this really isn't the same as a first-year head coach. Lincoln Riley did. Lincoln Riley in his first year went to the went to the playoffs. That's about as close a parallel as you're going to find. Yeah, and I mean, it's true that he inherited Baker Mayfield, but he also stepped from the offensive coordinator booth straight into the head coach spot. It's, I mean, the analogy is... Well, and also, who coached Baker Mayfield? What right. Bob Stoops? Right, him, yeah, right. Like, if, if anyone actually believed that Bob Stoops was taking a direct hand in the way that offense worked with Lincoln Riley. There, you're out of your damn mind. Um, so that's just how it works. Uh, especially Ohio State is even more talent dependent than Oklahoma. Yeah. Not dependent, but heavy. Um, Versus their competition, yes. Well, I don't know. I wonder because I'd be willing to bet that actually on paper Texas probably has a more talented roster than Oklahoma. Yeah. Now that's true. I, don't, I wonder if it was ever not true. Yeah, um, that is a good point. Because they always I think Oklahoma's, Oklahoma's a pretty consistent overachiever. Not that they're weak in recruiting, but they're just not a powerhouse. Recruiting fell off at the end of the Stoops era a little bit. Riley has, has gotten it back, but only to where it's like on par with Texas. Yeah. Well, in any case, all that is to say that like Justin Fields is going to be mentioned, deservedly so at this point, in the Heisman field. Again, not that he should be eligible or anything. Um but he has yet to be challenged, really. And the the broad, at the beginning of this game, I remember the broadcasters kept saying, sooner or later, we're going to see how Justin Fields plays when there's pressure, when the game is on the line, when it's tight in the second half. And maybe that's what we see here today. And about three minutes into the broadcast, they stopped saying those things. So well, I'm exaggerating because I believe the game was close for a bit longer than that. But... Uh, it wasn't this game. It, it wasn't this game. 520 total yards, 31st downs. This battle station is fully operational. If you're not paying attention to Ohio State as, first of all, the obvious favorite to win the conference, as well as probably make the playoff, you're not paying attention. And you're going to be unpleasantly surprised when your team wanders into the path of the super laser. This is as obvious a four-team playoff field as I've ever seen. Um... Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State. I'd be willing yeah. to put a decent amount of money on it. It's possible that it's it, it's not possible that Clemson gets knocked out. It's not no. remotely possible. No. What I wonder is if the loss happens at the appropriate time, does an LSU 
that doesn't make the SEC title game, but otherwise go undefeated, have an argument against the one loss, somebody else, probably. That argument doesn't work for them. It only works for Alabama because you just assume Alabama is number one. Well, they're an SEC team. There's precedent. Um, I don't think that works for Georgia because their loss would be in the conference title game, said Bama. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not really disputing your argument that if you had to write out a four-team bracket right now, that would be the best and most most likely combination. I don't think it's set in stone. Here in week three, here after week three, I don't think we can definitely predict what's going to happen after nine more games are played. But um, the fact that we have a pretty damn good idea is still, again, indicative of the status of the sport. Uh, with a handful of teams playing for what everyone thinks is important, the rest of us having to settle for scraps, bring back the old bulls. Yep. Old bowl system forever. Um, it's so weird to even talk about the Heisman at this point because none of the guys that are seen as front runners have been even remotely challenged. I mean, you no. could you could take Justin Fields, Kyler Murray, Tua Tagovailoa. You could put in their backups, and probably the teams have the same results. Damn, they don't gonna, look as spectacular, but Murray going to win that Heisman and play for the Cardinals. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, yeah, so it's, I mean, you just cycle in a different name or two every year. Um, it feels like Burrow is going to be there. It feels like, I've seen Jonathan Taylor on a couple of those, but as we were discussing before we started here, like, he's already rushed for 2,000 yards or more twice, correct? And both of his first two seasons, didn't he crack 2,000? At least one of them. Or pretty close. I think he might have ended up with, like, 1,900 of them, but in any case, he definitely did in one of those seasons and did not get an invite. So this committee has already told him, to get an invite to the Heisman ceremony, he, he's presumably got to go for like 2,300, 2,400 yards. You, you got to be knocking at the door of Barry Sanders. Or Wisconsin's just got to be better. Isn't that going to be a condemnation of the Heisman system as it is if he only only goes for like 1,600 yards, but Wisconsin's like 11-1, and one, so he gets the invite this year <laughs> after like his production drops off like 500 Wisconsin yards? Wisconsin was really good two years ago. Yeah, I think that might have been... I think he had a better year last season, at least from a raw stat standpoint. I don't know exactly, but... um, But back to Ohio State, this is just a workmanlike performance that if you're Ohio State, if you're an Ohio State fan, I don't know how this feels even. You just kind of, you know, you you work over... So you watch this like it's, you know, Furman... Not if you're Virginia Tech, but you watch this like it's Prairie View A&M. Just like, you know, hoping for all the... you, you, You watch... You gotta watch most of the games of your season not thinking about the game that it is, which is weird. Yeah, I can't. I don't, I don't know what that's like. It's hard to wrap your mind around that because how do you even enjoy a game week to week if it's not immediately a comfortable blowout? You're just in terrible anxiety. Even if, even if you are merely two scores ahead for most of the game, that's still like, geez, we're not winning by enough. This isn't gonna. What's the committee gonna think about this? Your eyes are kind of always turned to the sun. Um, last note I think that we should maybe mention is that it's true. It, you know, Indiana's starting quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., did not play. Peyton Ramsey, though, was a two-year starter, and he completed 19 passes for a buck 62 with a pick. So, yeah, um, you, you got to be healthy. you got to have all your bullets in the chamber against Ohio State, which is why I know Michigan State has no chance. It's impossible to know how good Indiana is from this it really is. I wouldn't take much out of this. They still, I mean, it's a data point that's going to be your worst data point of the year for most teams. So They have what should be a win against UConn. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So they got three wins for a bowl. 
They could easily be a bowl team and yeah. still have never, ever in a million years beaten Ohio State this year. Right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah. Um, so continuing on in maybe disappointment season, I guess. Uh, Things TC- that weren't worth watching. Yeah, TCU 34, Purdue 13. Um, I was a lo- I was pretty high on Purdue preseason, and I'm going to stick by that as actually being an, a not unreasonable take because this Purdue team is in no way similar to the Purdue team from before because uh, all their seniors are dead. They've lost yeah. Tario Fuller, Elijah Sindelar, Lorenzo Neal, Marcus Bailey. Uh, am I missing anybody? I mean, those are the big ones. Sure, I'm missing <laughs> someone, but I mean, those, <laughs> are, those are monumentally important. Yeah, and so... Sindelar is expected to return yeah. at some point, but those other three are not. Are they? I, well, I think Fuller might return at some point because I remember seeing a Twitter thing that he, his jaw is now unwired. Um, presumably, it might take him a while to get his strength back, but I would think we'll probably see him at some point because, damn, this is a running game that needs him. Um, their offensive line is still not in great condition. That's going to be a thing that doesn't just develop overnight the way their skill positions have. Um, Jack Plummer is probably a kid with some potential, but he sure was not ready for this TCU defense, which looked a lot like its old self. And even Rondale Moore was kind of powerless because I played him in JMC, so... Held to three catches for 25 yards. It's hard to know how much it mattered that Plummer wasn't ready. I'm sure Sindelar would have been a big upgrade, but I don't know that Sindelar could have turned it into the shootout that I thought it was going to be. Um, they allowed 200-plus yard rushers in this game. TCU decided to dial down the big 12-ness of their attack and just go to more what more what um, you know, Mountain West Gary Patterson was familiar <laughs> right. with. Right, and you know, when in West Lafayette... Uh, do as the big does. I mean, they held the ball for over 40 minutes. They out first down Purdue 23 to eight. Um, Purdue's as, one and two. What does this mean? It, it means it means you gotta you're gonna have to wait to pass judgment on Brown. Well, for one thing, it means they get Brown for another year, which I still do think is a positive thing. Um, this is the issue of a coaching transition, though, because when you have injuries, there's not. I mean, there's there's virtually nothing in the junior class that is going to help Purdue right now because that was the class where everything bombed out with Hazel. Um, the seniors were a thin group already, and most of those impact guys are gone. You don't have a lot of other upperclassmen. Most of the guys playing on this team now, a handful of exceptions, are Brahms guys who are good, but they're young, and there's no depth supporting them. So if any of the starters come off the field, there's a big drop-off. Um, as far as what it means, I, I don't think they're going bowling. They're still going to be a dangerous team to deal with week to week because if you are if you don't properly scheme against this offense, it's still going to tear you to pieces. Uh, especially, as you said, Sindelar is going to be back at some point, we think. But yeah, I mean, the, the theme here is injuries. They be problems, yo. Um, so Purdue is the new Kevin Wilson, Indiana for this year? Hmm. Um, that may not be a terrible analogy. It's their offense that's going to mess you up. Um, and throw a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's an analogy they love, too. <laughs> Indeed. So, Maryland, number 21 after thrashing Syracuse. Let's go ahead and take a little uh, chalkboard eraser to that 21 after this game. There we go. 
The um. Curse of 21. <coughs> Maryland takes down number 21. Maryland is the new 21. However, Temple is not the new 21. No. This game... Probably good for them. Yeah, th- this game was not as close as it looked. Um, Temple gave Maryland three turnovers and only got one back themselves. Uh, boy, it, it's... Temple, as we said, was going to be a tougher defensive test than Syracuse was. I did not expect to see Maryland grind to quite this stark of a halt. Because remember, their coach is now Rod Carey, who produced some good defenses at Northern Illinois. Yeah, good defenses in the MAC. That, that takes some doing. Especially uh, good defensive fronts. Yeah, yeah, guys like Sutton Smith, um, other... <laughs> <laughs> the score was 7-2 to two for the longest time. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um... The, the yardage disparity was also wider than it will look on paper here. Maryland benefited from a long touchdown, outside of which their efficiency plummeted. Um, you're, again, you're talking about 10 points, which includes a safety. This was not the game that you would have liked for Maryland. Although I think I believe at least one of our Maryland correspondents said, you know, because they he was discuss he was informing us in anticipation of next week's Penn State matchup. Student tickets are in high demand. They've added extra temporary seating. Everybody's stoked. And he's like, watch us go out and face plan against Temple before the Penn State game even happens and then get our doors blown off by Penn State. And he uh, was right about the first part. Yeah. Um, now remember this, though. Rod Carey, former NIU coach, has Big Ten aspirations from people that are around him. Now, can he have a better audition than having a goal line stand to win the game and then winning the game on a safety as time expires? If you're jockeying for a position in our league, oh, isn't that exactly what you want to see? my captain. I mean, <laughs> I, my look, goodness. MSU's going to be looking for a coach in the not-distant future. Bill Beekman could do a lot worse. Bill Beekman's probably going to do a lot worse. So this leaves us with... The future is dark and terrifying. This leaves us with questions about Maryland. Hmm, yeah. Although, we may have overcorrected from our initial assessment, but... I'm not sure. I mean, I wanted to see a couple more data points before... I don't think... I mean, it's probably still, after this loss, fair to say they're not going to be a three-win team, like a lot of people predicted. Uh, they're probably, they'll, they'll, be in, they'll be in the bowl eligibility neighborhood. They're not a terrible team. They're certainly not as good as they looked against Syracuse or Howard. That's about all we can say. And the Syracuse result, I think they still, they gave Clemson something of a game, but in the kind of fashion where it's like a cat play. Um, in the way Indiana gave Ohio State. Right. Like, oh, look, the scoreboard said it's close and it's not, you know, the second quarter yet. Oh, I win again. Pretty much. Better luck next time. So then... Workman-like performances, Nebraska 44, Northern Illinois 8. It yeah, was 30 we to foonf at the half. For the non-Ohio State Division of the Conference, really the only thoroughly satisfying game of the week, if, if you ask my honest opinion. Uh, but yeah, from you know, it, it escalated pretty quickly. Nebraska's tempo meant that they had a disadvantage in the time of possession, but still clicking in the way that I think we thought Nebraska would on a regular basis. Yeah, they had the ball for 22 minutes. Um, despite points, yeah. <laughs> d- despite I mean, just they controlled the game completely, despite not having the ball ever. Yeah, um, the you know NIU did move the ball on them a little bit, but the thing is, I mean, Nebraska got the stops when they needed them, and you know, for it's it's still only 350 yards, and honestly, in modern football, that's really not all that much. So. Definitely the most satisfying performance of the season for Nebraska. It's a shame that they had to allow that second half field goal because, God, when was the last time we had a foonf? We had a game end on a foonf. Um, wasn't it Maine against Central Michigan last year? Or was it the year before? Yes. Well, Nebraska, you could have delighted us with a foonf. 
But you gotta do what you gotta do. I guess. Um, but Joe's not. Uh, Northwestern defeated UNLV. UNLV took a 14 to 10 lead in the second quarter, but then never scored again. Yeah, although if memory serves, you know, you you mentioned that the Maryland game was 7-2 for a long time. This game, I feel like, was on 16-14 for an eternity. It may have just been because I was cycling through other games pretty quickly at that point. Desperately looking for something to take my eyes away from the awful, awful atrocity of my own team. Um, but look, it this is a, the 14 points, if I remember correctly, are both on long touchdown runs. They're basically just broken plays by a pretty talented running back. Those are going to happen. Northwestern's defense, perhaps not being the most athletic, is still going to be vulnerable to big plays occasionally. When um, they make mistakes, they do get punished. Yes. Which is exactly why they're... You know, their whole thing is being assignment sound. Yeah, you can't make mistakes if you yeah. have to be punished for it. So they um, f- yeah, they move on to the next back who's going to go, in this case, efficiently on high volume. But I don't know if Drake Anderson is going to have quite the success next week. I'm not sure what Bowser's injury status is either long term. And not exactly what you want to see from Hunter Johnson in his first game as the guy. Hey, well, remember when they used to have Hunter the punter? No, they got Hunter the arm punter. Yeah. Went 12 for 25 with a pick and a TD. Ran 11 times for 55. Better be careful rushing because you already are down one quarterback. Yeah. I, I don't know what Northwestern's depth is like behind him, but can't be great. I mean, graduated last year's starter and his top backup is injured. And then you've got this guy. There's, there presumably is not much else hanging around the quarterback room at Northwestern if it's actually able play. So um, not, not a whole lot else to see here, though. Again, this, this was a game that, in spite being close on the scoreboard, Northwestern was the decisively better team. Now, we talk about a team that is not necessarily decisively better, Minnesota. Holding I want on. to first point out that Giovanni Faiolo, Faiolo Sr. had one catch for six yards for UNLV and not Rutgers. He, may have, just, he may have just gotten lost, um, perhaps from the last time Rutgers and Northwestern played, whenever that was. Was that last year or the year before in the hideous game? Oh, that I think was, it was last, last year. year. Yeah. Was last so year. He, he may have just gotten lost. Uh, the colors are kind of similar. He's like, oh, there's, there's the guys right there. And just walked back out. Traveling with Northwestern's practice squad, and he's like, "Wait, there's, there's my family." Ah, yeah. Hashtag the hunt. And we could see this is going to be the long-awaited sequel to Homeward Bound about a lost Rutgers player who, in a foreign land, finds himself in Northwestern's lakeside practice. You're not, you don't look interested. Fine, I'll write it myself. <laughs> I don't need, I don't need your producer credit on this. So. Um, Minnesota now has shakiest three and zero start of anybody in the country after defeating Georgia Southern thirty five to thirty two. And when you look at the numbers, it seems weird that this was close. Yeah, but you know, as Hyper Twitter told us, um, this actually is what everyone expected the whole time for Minnesota to struggle badly with three inferior teams, and you know, it's exactly what they expected and were hoping for. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's unusual. Why'd you be concerned that they gave up thirty to Georgia Southern? Well, the thing that made this a close game, in spite of those numbers, was a couple of defensive touchdowns. They tried to go full September Northwestern. They actually tried to replicate Northwestern's game against Akron last year. They they were doing a very faithful reenactment of it. Um, didn't get out to a big enough lead. Only had 21-10 to uh, in the second quarter. Uh, took a 28-20 lead in the fourth. Then had a missed field goal returned 77 yards for touchdown. And then had a fumble returned for a touchdown. And this was all in the last six minutes of the game or so. Yeah, P.J. Fleck is going to, like, 
He's lost all his hair already, so, like, what's the next step? He presumably just starts to age, like, with, like, the speed of the Nazi in, in, uh, Last Crusade, or, or no, in Lost Ark, who's exposed to the, to the Ark of Covenant, like, his, I don't know, like... George Southern ran, like, 41... I don't know. I don't know. Um, 40, 42. Yeah, that's, that's not very many. So... Uh, Minnesota couldn't run the ball less nope. than two yards a carry. However, P.J. Fleck finally relented and started throwing to one of the most talented receiving cores in the conference uh, against his better judgment, uh, and this ended up working because Tyler Johnson caught game winner, went off for 10 catches for 140. Minnesota might have the most talented trio of receivers in the conference, and at the end of the season, they're probably going to be about sixth or seventh in production because they don't use. Why don't they use them? Who knows? I mean, the world may never know. Penn State Pitt. Um, somehow this was a close game, and every time I turned it on, Pitt had the ball, and they were aggressively doing nothing with, it. and it was still a close game, and I couldn't figure out how. Um, you got a bizarre coaching decision by Pat Narduzzi at the end of the game. God, I hope he's not Michigan State's coach, but it would be the easy decision. Probably what they're going to do. Hey, he's won a division title after all. It's not like his resume is totally bare. Um, beat Miami that one time. Yeah. The, uh, the, the one, be, beat the only instance of Miami back, uh, since Butch Davis. Yeah. If you're Penn State... I guess you dismissively shrug off this game as though you don't care about it, but you're also breathing a sigh of relief that we can hear two states away. This was a weird game. The yardage was almost even. There were no turnovers. Pitt made absolutely no effort to run the ball. Like, they they abandoned the run early and never went back. Which was interesting because their best player by a mile is Maurice French, their running back. Yes, Maurice French. French, the guy with two F's at the beginning of his name, which I assumed was a typo, but they kept putting it up there. I was like, they need to fix this, and then I looked it up, and no, that's right. For French. For French it is. For French! Um, of course, I mean, the leading rusher for Pitt, actually on one carry for nine yards, was Shockey Jacques-Louis, uh, which I just kind of wanted to put out, point out there. Taking a break from his fur trading French Canada for Um, so this game was <coughs> really basically a stalemate. The decisive moment, of course, fourth and goal from the one. And ball don't lie, you gotta go for it. <laughs> I mean, that God, what what do you think was going through his mind when that field goal, nineteen yard field goal, missed? He he gave some very long explanation. Um, I don't. It didn't. It does not seem to have convinced anyone. I haven't seen the take yet that actually Pat Narduzzi was right to kick the field goal. No, I, I don't get it. I don't know. This reminds me almost exactly of. Uh, Ron Zook doing the same thing in 2010 against number two Ohio State with a real chance to upset them. Uh, had like fourth and three from the 15, which was just about deeper than they'd been all day, down seven points, and he with like under three minutes to go. And he decides to kick the field goal, and he explained after the game that, well, if you take the points you know you can get here, then you kick off and you hope that if you can hold them to a field goal, well, then it's a then it's a seven point game, and it's only a one score game, and you still have to get the touchdown. Yes. So basically, <laughs> he was like saying, the... "I wanted to make sure that maybe best case scenario we could get to exactly where we were, but not but have fewer time." Right. But However, have, at least but have, the logic was consistent. But have less time and not even be guaranteed to get to that point again. Yes. Well, and what actually ended up happening was Ohio State ended up just marching down the field and scoring a touchdown, put it away. <laughs> yeah, Penn State didn't even have to do that here, but they might as well have. So, yeah, um, 
Penn State, you know, defense is fine. This is this is a step up in opponent quality and intensity, certainly. I think it's still kind of deny remains it to be though you will. It kind of remains to be seen what they are. But hey, look, they're three and zero after this after the week the conference just had. You can't overlook that. So let's go finally to the lead that we've buried this whole time. El Asico! Truly an El Asico for the ages. Two weather delays, a field storming by Iowa State's pathetic fans during a weather delay because they apparently realized they were not going to get a chance to do it after the game. Although why you would do it against, like, a 20th ranked Iowa or whatever they are? Um, I guess that maybe that would pass for one of the better moments in Iowa State history. I don't know. Iowa State's kicker was born for this game. Because uh, his last name was Ass Alley, which is which is right where uh, this game was born, right down Ass Alley. Yeah, Iowa yeah. was moving the ball as slowly as they could. Three yards per carry, five point seven yards per passing attempt. We're very much trying to not do anything. Um, Iowa's injuries in the secondary also showed up in a big way as yet another cyclone receiver just sort of emerged from the water treatment plant. That's all I know about Ames. Uh, and Tariq Milton went for a buck 44 on eight catches. You better hope you get healthy back there because that's an issue and there are more talented receiving groups coming. Um, say hi to Minnesota, for example. So, Boy, but the, you know, the only thing there is to talk about this game, again, I mentioned we buried the lead by waiting on this game. Had we buried the lead by not talking about... Um, a blocker on his own punt team basically making his highlight reel for jacked up. Yeah. Uh, the game was essentially decided on Iowa State attempting to field a punt only for their returner to be clobbered by an Iowa State blocker who was badly whiffing in a block in the back against the against Iowa's gunner. Yeah, and he whiffed so badly... It's hard to know how he didn't at some point glance out of his peripheral vision to see where the returner was. It, it's mystifying, honestly. Um, but this is truly, I mean, there's never been a more literal example of punting. It might be. the. You know what? No, I'm going to say it. That's the funniest punt return fuck-up I've ever seen, and I'm an Illinois fan, and that's what we do. Damn, yo. Like, I'd argue that the Carmani Green one against Rutgers was, was dumber, because I still, I can at least kind of explain how that Iowa State one happened. I still don't understand what possessed the dude to like watch it bounce and then just, just, just dive on, dive on the ball and miss. But, but the Iowa State one was funnier. Um, and Kirk Ferentz is Dad Thanos. Oh yeah, right he's, now. he is satisfied Dad Thanos having balanced the universe with a nice bracket of field goals around each of his, around his touchdowns. Four field goals yeah. and winning the game on a punt. This is Kirkvana. Pretty much. We'll take a quick turn around the country now. We've gone kind of long. Um, not a whole lot else to see. I mean, Kentucky and Alabama, or Clemson and Alabama, had no problem with their respective opponents in conference, didn't respect them too. Kentucky, though, had a chance to go back-to-back against Florida for the first time in, I'm going to assume, 190 years. And, uh, <laughs> boy, when your kicker's name is Chance Poor, I don't know what you expect to happen. So, with under two minutes... They had first and 10 from the Florida, 26, down one point. 54 seconds to go, fourth and one. Chance poor misses the kick, which had presumably a better than poor chance of being made. And then with 33 seconds to go, Florida scores on a 79-yard jet sweep? Yeah. It's <laughs> a weird-ass play when to score a 79-yard touchdown. They're probably just looking for a first down. Like, they're probably not trying to score. And they do. Um, elsewhere... Problems back again in Pac-12 land as UCLA becomes the first Power 5 team to go 0-3 this season. 
Stanford goes to Orlando and gets just housed by UCF. At one point, they were down 38-7. to I mean, I mean, UCF just blew the doors off of them. Yeah, unfortunately, Hawaii was not able to pull off the trifecta of Pac-12 wins. They fall to Washington. Um, I mean, we, we, we knew eventually that everything fun has to end because it's college football. Yeah. It's it's only fun until you can only have so much fun until it's like oh okay okay let's okay. let's roll tide let's, knock let's that get off. this under control here all right all right kids come on come on you can't you can't do that back to the quick lane bowl with you yeah so uh, USC also became ranked after starting the preseason being discussed to go zero and six or zero and seven out of the gate and then immediately lost to BYU <laughs> so um, you know BYU back to back wins over Tennessee and USC. Presumably, they're going to go and play Florida Atlantic next. <laughs> yeah. Um, Virginia Tech trailed Furman 14-3 at the half. Um, it's a thing that happened. Discontent in Blacksburg. Uh, and Georgia Tech. I mean, I think I'm willing to, even in light of all the shit that happened to the Big Ten this week, I'm willing to award Georgia Tech the coveted dick trip of the week. Ew, I'm going to dissent on that, man. They lost to the Citadel. But Georgia Tech is not good, and we know they're not good. But the Citadel. Am I? Do we have to go back and re-record the Michigan State segment? There's no way you're taking this away from my man Mark this week. He deserves that dick all to himself. All right, we have, we have a for split the first time a split <laughs> decision. Oh, uh, ooh, that that sounded that uncomfortable. Sounds horribly painful. But you know what? Presumably there are some people who are into that kind of shit. There are people who watch Tennessee football in 2019. <laughs> Your source for big gun talk, it's off tackle, Empire!